and welcome to the Pricing Queen podcast with me, Sally Farrant. Each week on the podcast, I'll be sharing pricing tips and strategies along with ways to improve the profit in your business. I've got a track record for helping companies get their heads around their business numbers, and now I'm here to show you how to start earning the money you deserve and become a pricing queen yourself. and welcome to the Pricing Queen podcast with me, Sally Farrant. Today, my guest is Laura Harrison from LH Retail Development. Laura is a retail expert and has way more expertise around selling your product than I do. So here's the show. Hi there and welcome to the show. And today I've got Laura Harrison from LH Retail Development. Hi, Laura. Tell us a bit about yourself. Hi there. Hi, it's lovely to be here. Thank you for having me on. Um, so to say, my I run the LA Retail Development um, Consultancy, and I I have two two parts of it. I've been in retail for well all of my working life, so coming up for twenty five years full time makes me feel a little bit old saying it. Um, I've got I've got twenty five years in corporate retail, actually in stores, and also uh, moving up into head offices. And my my main focus has always been on the financials, cost, profit. Um, and, and stock and cash flow. So all about supporting the creative side of the business to ensure that we were running the business in an effectively way, but, but pushing our creative on. Um, so that means that I help. I do have uh, corporate clients where I go in as um, what we call a subject matter expert to talk about um, how they can improve process, how they can improve some of the decisions they're making and work with their teams. Um, but I also and, and, and really love supporting small businesses, uh, independent brands, who are looking to grow, looking for advice as they start out um, to help them get off on the right foot and also, again, improve how they do things um, to enable them to get more profit to, to fund their growth. So that's really what the, the consultancy is about, supporting retail in general. I'm very passionate about keeping the high street alive and doing whatever I can to, to help people do that. Yeah, and it's certainly taken a bit of a battering in the last 12 months. Not wrong, not wrong. But uh, so I think that it's much more complicated than a service business. So in a service business, it's mostly about your time and a few costs. When it comes to product business, there's a whole issue of stock, which massively affects your cash flow. So just talk a bit about the kind of top three issues that there are with stock and that sort of thing in a business. Um, so probably the top three things that I, I, I find is, um, particularly when it comes to stock, is that... Um, when you when you see a product that you think is absolutely amazing for your customer, you want to buy it and you want to um, get that out there as soon as possible. What I find is that uh, a lot of smaller businesses don't um, turn the product that's not selling so well quick enough to support what they want to bring in for new. So they end up with this glut of stock that they really don't want. And it's, it's like a safe that's full of cash that you can't get into because you need to you really need to sort of ensure that you've got a promotional plan. Um, and that's one thing that I, I often work on with clients is actually to say, you, so you need a sales plan, so you need to understand what you want to sell. And that comes in line with how you need to pay for the stock that you need to buy. So if you want to buy a grand's worth of stock in March, you need to ensure that you've sold, you know, at least a grand's worth um, in the, the month before to pay for it, for example. So we look at the shape of sales versus stock planning, but also how important having a promotional plan is to um, all retail businesses and all retail businesses, regardless of uh, brand, luxury or whatever, have a way of turning their, their stock. Either that's doing promotional messages at an appropriate time that supports their brand. And you will find that there are some brands that literally do two sales a year. 
um, and nothing else. That's all they do. Um, and that's why you see people queuing outside of Selfridges, for example, because they don't do a lot of a lot of that sort of thing. Um, they may have an outlet business. So they put it all into a separate a separate part of the business, you know, to, to manage it. Um, and then you have other people that literally promote quite often. So, you know, with people always take the mickey out of DFS, they're always on sale and things like that. There's always an offer, but it's part of their model and it's something that their customer likes and understands. So once you've tried a few different things, you'll figure out what time of year works for you, what messages work for you. And it doesn't have to be banded a sale. It can simply be um, like a, across the Easter weekend, a um, some sort of Easter offer that says that, you know, come and get your summer must-haves, get ready for summer. I'm sure there'll be actually quite a lot of that happening um, in the next couple of months. So those sorts of things, people not having a promotional plan means that they often end up sitting on stock. And also ensuring when you come to pricing, so the next thing down is looking at the overall pricing, is that actually you need to start at the right level. You need to start at the price that you aim to sell it for for majority of the time um, and then start to drop it if you need it because it, you then have opportunities throughout the year that you've already identified. That means you can test a discount and it may well be it just needs to, uh, a little bit off to move it it might need more, but at least you're doing it in the most profitable way because you're starting with one price, checking, testing, and then you'll get down to where, you know, you have to be eventually. If, it, if it's something that your customer just doesn't like, you may have to just spend that profit margin for that particular product just to get rid of it, to create that cash, to be able to move on. And, and, and not taking that decision early enough means that quite often we see like a big buildup of stock in businesses that they're, they're just sat on. Um, so there, there's a couple of the two key things. And, then, and when we're looking at pricing overall is if you're not starting really at the right place and you're going too cheap, um, you know, it is similar to a service base where you have the cost of the product, um, but you have the cost of the proposition as well with, with retail because you've got that extra piece in terms of that you may be paying for an e-commerce website. Um, you would have postage and packing to consider if you're not charged, if you want, some people have it as what we call visible shipping, so they charge it on top. Some people think that they need to keep it within the products. So it's in, you know, non-visible shipping. So the customer, you know, gets free delivery. Um, you have your time. You know, you have overhead, you have, you know, depending if you might run a facility that you keep your stock in. There's all of those things. You need to ensure your profit margin can afford all of those things. And with service-based businesses, it's often just us and, you know, whatever we need really to perform our service. So depending if we do everything digitally, it's running our laptop and those bits and pieces. But we, you know, and we will have a website, but we won't really have much else. Whereas retailers have all of these other things that have to be taken into consideration. Um, so it's looking at really the makeup of that, but equally, it's looking at whether or not their brand could command more money, whether their market allows them to command more money, whether their customer is willing to pay, because quite often you see people scrabbling around trying to get stock on something because it's selling so fast, and that's actually probably because it's see, perceived as such great value, um, you, could, you could put the price up a bit sell a bit less but make more profit um, and getting people out of the sales versus profit mentality some people just think that sales is brilliant um, but if you're not making any profit then what you've got is is an expensive hobby so you need to have a look at those two things together um, and they're normally kind of the three things the stock relationship um, making sure the promotional piece is there and and pricing overall that generally can unlock a lot of profit for retail businesses.
Yeah, I talk a lot about that. It's an expensive hobby if you're not making any money out of it. Yeah. <laughs> it makes yeah. such a difference. And just to touch on something actually you just mentioned about kind of shipping and inclusive shipping and not inclusive shipping. I mean, what's your view on the best way to do that? Do you think it's better just to take it off the customer or do you think it's better to include it and just be done with it? So I think it comes, I think a lot of people, when they do their competitor analysis or whether they do enough, so they might see that somebody's... Um, giving in you know giving you know having the, sh the shipping included and they're they're giving it away if you like it's it depends on whether or not you think it's important to your customer so if you have a value proposition where you sell quite a lot of cheap things um it may well be that your customer is a bit more price sensitive and therefore looking for the cheapest way to do things if you're buying um a leather jacket from a higher branded retailer and they're charging you eight pounds for delivery you'd probably take it I think there that it comes down to really what you think the customer really kind of unlocks all of that you need to be giving your customer the journey that they expect most people don't mind paying PMP I certainly don't it's it's one I, I don't expect a business to to take that on board but people um like Amazon offer um Prime ASOS offers a delivery piece next actually do it as well where you can pay a certain amount for the year and if it's a brand you love and you spend with them all of the time, then absolutely it's worth doing. But outside of that, you know, if they offer free shipping, I often think that if you offer free shipping over a certain threshold where you know it's covered, I think that's normally the best thing to do because that's a great way of actually um, increasing your basket spend sometimes. If someone, if you offer free shipping over £50 and someone spent 40 45 they may then buy that extra item to tip it over the £50 bracket. So We do that yeah. all the time. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You're kind of, you think, oh, you know, I'll, I'll just put it, you know, I wait, I, I offer, I, because I'm such a numbers nerd, I will work out whether or not the postage and packing is any more than actually tipping it, what I need to tip it over. So I was, I thought, actually, you know, I'll pay it because I'll, I'll end up paying another six quid that I don't need to, or whether or not there's something else I really love that I'll, I'll be worth doing it. But I often find that's the best way to offer the customer both so they can decide whether to spend up and get the free shipping, but then you know it's covered because profit margin will allow for it, um, or whether you um, charge PMP up, you know, underneath that. Um, so there's lots of different ways of doing it. You know, if you're shipping internationally, absolutely, people need to be expecting to pay PMP and things like that. And if you're, if those customers are not prepared to pay for it, you have to kind of think to yourself, are these the sorts of people that are the right customer for you? Because if you can't afford to do it, then, you know, that's that's not the right thing for your proposition. Yeah, because it can add up to quite a lot, actually, by package yeah. diet. As part yeah, of it really can. Margin, part of your margin. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and obviously, one of the other big things to think about is kind of whether you sell through your own website, which obviously has become a much bigger thing, probably particularly in the last 12 months, I would say. Yeah. Um, and how do you decide whether it's better to sell through wholesale and to put it into retailers or better to sell it yourself and that sort of thing? Hmm. So you kind of... Um, when you look at it really if you sell through your own website which is great that's your own branded journey you can kind of keep control you can keep very tight control of what the customer experience is um and how they see you because as i say brand can command a little bit more in terms of profit um because you can sell because people get the experience they get the brand now if you look at some other retailers in the market you'll notice that people like river island for example sell on next and they sell with asos um, and that's because actually what's happening is they've got their own website but they are taking advantage of the customer reach 
on the other two platforms. So they're actually getting themselves out there. So I wouldn't necessarily go to the River Island website to buy, but if I'm I'm a big ASOS and um, Next shopper, so I might actually see them on those two platforms. So they're kind of stretching the demographics in some way. They're able to put themselves in front. And if you're able to sell more units, as much as you might pay a fee to sell through other people's platforms, what you'll decide you'll see is actually your buying power is greatly increased. Um, and therefore, you'll probably be able to get a really good cost reduction because you're buying so much more volume. So it's a bit of a tipping point. You'll find that um, your suppliers will want you to get to a certain level before you get that, that extra cost price reduction. Um, but if you're able to piece together all of those volumes to add up to one large one, then it's absolutely worth doing. So, so that's the kind of thing, you know, it's really interesting to sort of see how different platforms work um, and how people sell through. I mean, obviously, I don't know how um, River Island um, work with ASOS. You know, they may buy it from them direct as a wholesale proposition. I'm not really sure, but it, it works in a similar way. You're kind of able to get different reach. You know, if you sell on Etsy, you sell on not on the high street and you sell through your own website, you've got three different customers that you're able to get to. So it kind of helps from that perspective to kind of understand that there is a different reach element if you're able to get to those, if you think those customers might be relevant for you, um, it may enable you to buy more because you can sell in different ways. And I guess you don't have to promote so much if you're not doing the, they're doing a lot of the kind of promotions and all of that sort of thing as well. So you don't have to do so much marketing for your own stuff. No, absolutely. So I think as long as you're able to sort of get yourself into the right search and all of those sorts of things, and you're able to maximize on that in terms of how you set up your products, then um, it just brings you to a a different audience that might not be necessarily coming to your own website via your normal marketing channels. So it's just, uh, it's an opportunity and it's always worth testing, um, but you have to weigh up the fees initially and how long it will take you to kind of, make the money to ensure that the initial setup was worth it once you've got through that you'll know then that you're kind of getting the additional and as we know retail is is a whole load of different risks kind of balanced together in terms of what you do and how you do it Um, but it allows you that um, it allows you an opportunity to get out to some different customers if you think that customer is shopping on those particular sites yeah, so it's kind of broadening you out. And also when you're first starting out, you often don't have a very big email list or a very big customer base yet. So it can often be a way of building your customer base as well, particularly if it's an online retailer, I think. Yeah, absolutely. When it comes to kind of cost price versus versus the retail price, what what's the kind of rule of thumb of calculating that if there is one? So um, you often hear two and a half times the cost price as a bit of a rule of thumb. It's a good place to start. Um, But what you need to do is obviously then just make sure that if you times that by your number of units, you can understand how much profit that gives you. Um, And there's also the place to whether or not you're playing around with VAT. So if you're that registered or not, you then need to make sure that that then goes on top. So two and a half times gives you a view to say that at least that extra piece on top of your cost price is giving you a decent margin. In fact, it's about 60%, I think, when you work it out as a, as a percentage. Um, so depending on your overall proposition, you need to understand whether that 60% margin covers your costs and pays you money. So either pays you money to put back into your business or pay, you know, you're able to pay yourself. Now, depending on what you sell, 
those margins will be different. So generally speaking, technology margins are quite small. There's a lot of componentry that goes into the makeup of those products. There's a lot of uh, process that has to go through. They have to go through clean um, manufacturing in some respects, depending on what it is, particularly if it's a smart piece. And you're kind of a bit compounded because you're in a very price sensitive market. So if somebody wants a Samsung TV and they want a specific one, they will probably likely look for the cheapest place to buy it. Um, or they'll be looking for someone who offers extras like um, warranties and all of those sorts of things as part of the price. So, which is why I think John Lewis does quite well on its on his tech products. So you have to understand your market forces. A two and a half times doesn't always work depending on the on the category that you're in. Now, if you're um, if you take it as your as your starting point and say, okay, does that does that look right? You can then do a little bit of a competitor check. So um, have a look at who who you kind of say is you know sell similar stuff to you, thinks has a similar customer, and have a look at their pricing for similar products. Now, what you'll sometimes find, and we've we've actually found when I've done this exercise with with clients before, is that they're actually a bit cheap. Um, their competitors are selling for a little bit more, and you kind of have to you have a look at it and say, why does that brand? think that it can command that price and quite often it's because they are whoever they are um, they have a brand they have a customer experience that people love um, and they come back to them they've got they they know who their niche is they know who they're aiming at and they they produce product to to service those people um, and that's quite often where kind of fashion comes in fashion stores have a customer they know or should know who their customer is who they're aiming at um, there will be fashion brands out there that they want don't want me anywhere near it because I'm getting, you know, I'm in my forties. I'm a bit too old, but you know, John Lewis absolutely is trying to attract me with the, with the brand makeup that they're looking at. So it's, it's very interesting in terms of then how you look at those pricing and how that range sits together. You need to ensure that when you do that competitive piece, if you sell handbags and purses, for example, that you're, you can see the hierarchy, you can see why each product is worth what it is. So Example, if you've got, if you sell rucksacks, you have a, like a nylon rucksack with um, metallic studding on it as your, as your base level, that's £25. If you then have a, a um, suede one, the customer should expect to, sp to spend more because it is a more expensive makeup and material. And you should be able to describe that, that value um, if you're selling it online. You'd certainly know if you put it in front of them, they'd be able to tell that they were one was heavier, it's got more in it. Um, you can talk about hand finishing, you can talk about anything that goes into that. Even, and then you might your next one might be leather with you know different um, componentry and things like that. So you, you have your hierarchy and you'd want to make sure that that makes sense. So if your entry one is 25 pounds, your next one up might be 40 and your next one up after that might be 60, but you just need to be able to describe the reasons why they are different. Um, and as long as you can do that, people will buy into it. A similar thing we may well be with services you need to you, we're describing the transformation with a service with a product you're describing the benefits you're talking and you're talking about the aspirational piece of why it's wonderful why it's on trend why you know all of those things you're kind of still selling that piece there and that will relay into the pricing but you'd also then if you've got matching purses your purses would then need to be in line as well so there needs to be your range needs to have a relationship and we we often talk about good better and best so you have your good proposition that's your aspiration or your entry price points if you like you then have your better this stuff is worth more because of this and then your best this is your next level and you're trading your customer up through those particular range and your architecture as we call it needs to make sense if everything costs 30 pounds the customer's not really sure why 
you know, you, they might not be able to choose. You'll be spreading your sales across because customers won't necessarily understand why um, they would might want this one against this one. Um, so having having different things, different ways to entice, it. and also you know you can you can talk to a different customer if you've got slightly different different ranging. Burberry is always a really good example. I used to work for those quite a long, long time ago now, but they they had a entry which is Burberry Brit, which is like their leisure wear type stuff. You'd then move on to Burberry London, and then Burberry Crossum sat at the top, which was their runway. So they clearly had three levels of different prices for different sets of customer because you'd have people that would aspire to own Burberry who'd happily pay £95 for a polo top. Um, I can tell you the margins on that, they were obscene. <laughs> and then you'd have people that would then move up, you know, into the next level, you know, it was smarter, it was, you know, and then Rawson was the runway, that was the true aspirational, this was this, this trend setting product. Um, and the price difference between the bottom and the top was massive. Um, you know, they would talk about, the fabrics they would talk about the styling they would talk about and um, why it was fashion forward they would back all of that up with the visuals they would back all of that up with how they would describe things it, it all kind of came to you know all of those things kind of fit together and it allows you to make a differentiation in your price because of how you're how you're doing that um and then obviously you would expand your profit margins by buying better looking at your proposition and, and, and managing your costs in the best way possible yeah, and I think it's really important. I mean, I talk a lot about in service businesses about packaging your stuff up and, and getting, you know, customers to be able to see their journey that they would be taking through your business. And it's exactly the same, which is like, well, you might come in and you're like, well, I don't know this person. I've not heard of them. I'm going to spend a small amount of money with them. I might, you know, in a service business that might be a para, like you say, it might be a bag. And then you kind of go up the scale and kind of go, well, actually, I really like this person. I'm going to buy their yeah. most expensive thing. Their quality is good and whatever it is. And I think it's, you know, it's true in all businesses that customers need to see that there's a differential between the different things that you offer and be clear what those differences are so like you say it's easier in some ways in product businesses because it's like well i'm using more expensive material like suede versus nylon and that sort of thing but but i think it's it's true in in all businesses that you need to be kind of very clear what the you know what is it about why should i pay twice as much for this one than this one and you need to be able to explain that and what that yeah. is absolutely so lots of people that I come across and have as clients actually have small businesses where they're often doing uh, kind of craft businesses where they're creating jewellery, say, some of it quite bespoke and some of it quite expensive, others not so much. But kind of what would be your advice about trying to manage that, price that and all of that sort of thing if you've got any tips? I mean, you've really, you've got to look at your component tree in terms of what goes in to making the product. Um and you've got to look at your time and how much you value that and then add on a premium for the fact that it is handmade, um, artisan, bespoke, however you want to talk about all of those um, things command a different um, value in terms of process. So, you know, if you're using gold, if you're using silver and all of those sorts of things, then people already know that that commands a price. There's a price in the market for that. If you then talk about, you know, the stones that you're using um, and all those sorts of things, I see some really great reels and things on Instagram where people can give the behind the scenes. This is actually how I make things. You know, it's, it's a it's a very bespoke process and, and obviously it takes you time. And actually tracking how long it takes you to make a ring versus a pair of earrings, all that sort of thing. You'll kind of understand where you're able to make more of those things and therefore um, 
get more of those out there, then I think you can focus on those. But the things that take a long time, you need to ensure that that's reflected in the price because you only have so much time. And if you're making everything from scratch, if there is no buy-in um, stock at all that you know that you can just continue to sell without having to really do a huge amount other than pick and pack it um, if you're making bespoke that you know your time and your expertise has to be reflected in the price and they often say funnily enough you know it's um, I saw it a good example the other day is that cutting a wire costs nothing knowing which wire to cut a thousand pounds you know, your knowledge, your experience and your expertise absolutely comes into into making whatever it is that you make. And therefore, you know, you should be charging for that. You, you understand that there is a value. And if you're not charging enough, then you're spending an awful lot of time for not a lot of um, money. So if you do it for the love of it, then that's absolutely fine. If you're doing it as a, as a business, then that time needs to be and that expertise needs to be paid for. Yeah, and I think it can be quite, I do know that people find it quite difficult to kind of value that expertise, but I do think it is looking at, like you say, all the different things that you make in your business and how long it takes you to make one. It might take you twice as long to make a pair of earrings because they're fiddly than it does to does to do a ring but actually mm-hmm. a ring can almost always command way more money than a pair of earrings so can and also can you kind of productize it so it is something you make a lot of can you do it as a batch can you do it you know can you do it as a repetitive process that makes it easier and, and easier for you to do in the future i think because that very very bespoke stuff is very expensive expensive mm-hmm. stuff i'm afraid absolutely and that's where i see some people i mean i've um I network a lot with some wedding suppliers and there's a lady she's got she makes bespoke headpieces um hair combs and things like that for, for brides but she also has an element of stock that she she spends to buy in and she sells those as well um which often make really great presents for bridesmaids and all of that sort of stuff so she she knows kind of where the proposition the the pieces for the brides necessarily are the more bespoke because the bride is the one who's spending more money but actually she'd probably also happily spend um, more cash, you know, to buy s- several of something nice for her for her bridesmaid. So she kind of gets in. She's the same industry, but she's appealing in two different ways, um, and that saves her a little bit of time because actually she can just buy that in at a cost price and then sell it on. But because she has that bespoke element, she could probably command a little bit more of a premium on the stuff that she buys in because it sits nicely between the two. Oh, we could talk about this all day. I'm always fascinated by retail stuff. <laughs> thank you ever so much for joining me. Where can we find you? Where's the easiest place to find you? So I am on Instagram and on Facebook with at uh, LH Retail Development. Um, and also my website is coming, but it will be sort of towards the end of April and that'll be www.lhretaildevelopment.co.uk. Um, or you can drop me an email at um, lhretaildevelopment at gmail.com. That's brilliant. And Laura's got a really good free Facebook group, which is definitely worth joining because it tells you all about how to do stuff. And she's always about making always. more money, more <laughs> money in your small business. <laughs> I would love to see you in the uh, product profit project um, on Facebook. If you want to join that, come in and see us. And we, again, I, I go live every week um, talking about different things on how the big guys might be doing it and things that you might be able to adopt in your business to help you make a little bit more out of what you do. And all of that will be in the show notes. So thanks so much, Laura. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Pricing Queen podcast with me, Sally Farrant. Please do leave a rating and review wherever you listen to your podcast. It really helps spread the word and get more people listening. Make sure you're following me on Instagram at the Pricing Queen or One Word, where I share more tips and advice on how to make more money in your small business. See you next time, Pricing Queens.